right, it's a Friday before a long weekend. Try to get this sucker in the bag without damaging anybody. Reputations or physical things. Speaking of physical things, this uh, microphone here is a bit of an issue today. Uh, it's Blair and Barker's Friday, June 30th. Happy day before Canada Day. Huh. Barker's favorite day of the year. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, you dressing up? Huh? You dressing up like you wearing something for Canada Day. Like a jacket or a pair of pants or, you know. Okay. Show your colors. There's, yeah, I don't have a Canada Day outfit, do you? I mean, I might. <laughs> yeah. I might. Andrew, that's right. It's not Halloween. Uh, I imagine it's a it's a Saturday. I'll probably wear what I normally wear on a Saturday. We got <laughs> just uh, seldom do you throw me for a loop, but that question just one question did. So because it's Canada, you think I'm if, dude? If I wear red, I look like a blood clot. So no, I'm not wearing red. Uh but the red you wearing socks, socks to keep you from having the lots. red socks. <laughs> True. What? They're it's compression true. socks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you laugh now. When you're old, compression socks are going to be your friend. Believe me. And these, by the way, aren't compression socks. No, the red, no they're not. But and socks, red, get it? Red socks are in town for three games uh, starting tonight against the Blue Jays. You know what that means. The place will be rocking. Uh, there'll be uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of uh, alcohol consumed. Could get, <laughs> could get rowdy. And that's just the Red Sox fans. Uh, it'll be Jose Barrios on the mound against James Paxton. Tomorrow is a 307 first pitch. You say Kikuchi against Cutter Crawford. Sunday, Kevin Gossman against Garrett Whitlock. The Jays, they are 45 and 37 after their 2 1 win over the San Francisco Giants last night. The Jays took two of three games from the Giants, who came into this series, Kevin, um, playing pretty good baseball, especially on the road. Uh, but the Jays yesterday, Vladdy comes through with the two-run home run. Chris Bassett, as I predicted, gets nailed for a pitch timer violation. Raise your hand if you care. In his continuing battle with... Nobody's raising their hand. In his continuing battle with whatever. (laughs) But he also had a career-high 12 strikeouts (laughs) yesterday with uh, Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. Chris Bassett was awfully good yesterday. Uh, a couple of walks, a couple of hit batters, but by and large, awfully good. So, Vladdy has now got what? Uh, what were we looking at yesterday? He's hit a couple of home runs here at the Rogers Center. We can put the rest that whole, why can't he hit home runs at the Rogers Center for now anyways. Mm-hmm. You seeing anything different from Vladdy? Getting pitched down the middle. Like a simple. Does this surprise you? I'm going to throw the stat it's out, a, by the way. A, that's a simple answer. Uh, does this surprise you at all? His OPS with runners on base and two out is 1.091. That's fourth best in the AL. That's behind Jose Ramirez, Jonah Heim, and Jose Abreu, just ahead of Bo Bichette. Does that surprise you? Like, that's a a good number. Read it to me again. With two outs? With runners on base and two out. He's got the fourth best OPS in the AL. Hmm. I mean, not, I know we talked about, real. obviously we're talking about runners in scoring position. That, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. most of the conversation is. I don't know. I just found that interesting because, you know, one of the things Ross Atkins talked about when we talked to him was 
and, and I, this is probably the, this is probably the same with every team, I guess. You can probably go through various layers, and you can probably find positive numbers for players you think are scuffling that's if you that, want. That's what that is. You think that? You think that's? <laughs> You're begging. Just a minute. <laughs> and I know the silver lining. There's the silver there's lining. The there, there's a, it's right there. The silver lining's right there. <laughs> that's right in front of me. Uh, Anyhow, continue what you were saying. Yeah, I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. It didn't have the impact. I mean, Vladdy's a really Vladdy's a really good hitter. It, who is expanding for what reason? I don't think a plethora of people that are around him understand. Quite frankly, I th- I think that's what it is. For me, it's not mechanical. It's if if it was the balls that he's hitting out, the three homers that he's hit out in however many games he's hit those out that are right down the middle. Does his swing look any different? No. He's getting to a finish because of where the pitch is thrown. That, that's the difference. I've told you this forever because I used to be one of those 5 o'clock hitters who would always try and get to their finish. That's all I tried to do. If I was going to have any chance of playing twice a week, it was showing the manager who was leaned up against the batting cage in the last round of batting practice because I would yell and scream at him saying, look at me, look how far I'm hitting it. Getting to your finish, and the only way you do that is to get a good pitch to hit. And I think that's sort of like last night. He His swing did not look good until he got the split finger right down the middle. The ball that he fouled off that was up around his chin, that was a split finger, that swing was awful. I mean, he alligator-armed it. It was The finish was down around his, his belt. Like, he was not a very good swing. And then all of a sudden, you get one down the middle, and then look how easy, effortless, how he posed at the end when he was watching the ball go over the fence. Like, it's it's just not because that happens. It's because of where it's thrown. And I, that's me. Like, I, you can't persuade me in the direction of saying that all of these things mechanically are wrong with him. Now, timing-wise... That's totally different because of where he's making contact on balls that he hits to the left side of the infield. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's why I tell you moving in the batter's box a little would help point of contact, but I don't know really what that stat says. I mean, maybe he gets... I just threw it out there to confuse Maybe he you. gets... Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's has that's, that's a little luck, too, thrown in there. The uh, Red Sox swept the Jays. Remember that series in May? No. Uh, the Jays gave up 13 or more hits and six or more runs in each of the four games. That was after going 16-3 against the Red Sox last year. Red Sox can hit. Red Sox can hit. They just can't play defense. They just can't play defense. That's their thing. Rob Bradford will join us at 530. He is a Red Sox reporter with WEEI and host of the podcast, The Bradfo Show, and Baseball Isn't Boring. John Schneider, the Jays manager, will be along at 6 o'clock at 630 Jeff Passan, MLB wow. insider. What a show. With the, that is a good show. Yeah. That is a good show. Don't Passan, screw it up. Passan was, part, <laughs> Passan was part of their all-star. Jesus. Well, it's Friday. Passan was, part of their, Passan was part of their all-star coverage yesterday. If you haven't heard by now, uh, no Jays were selected to start in the all-star game. Somehow, you let yourself get outvoted by the Tampa Bay Rays fans at first base. Other than the shortstop, they got it right. Yeah, Corey Seager beat Bobichet. Bobichet's going to the All Star game. He should be the starter, but he he, he'll go to the All Star game anyhow. Yep. I, you know, the question now is, I've I've got to think. You know, Vladdy's there for the home run derby. I mean, I would think you automatically go if you're if you're the runner up. I, I mean, but uh, 
other than that, you know, we think we think Kevin Gossman's going to go. Jordan Romano's got a shot. And John Schneider dropped a name earlier today about another guy that I hadn't thought of. But Me we'll 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 talk about uh we'll talk about that particular individual on the Blue Jays going to the uh going to the All-Star game. We're, we're only we're like a week and a bit away from the All-Star game. This this season seems to have seems to have really flown by. I'm going to throw this stat out at you. Because we're more than halfway through the year now. And of course, we know that the Rogers Center, that there have a whole bunch of alterations and changes and renovations have happened to the Rogers Center. We keep waiting for that offensive explosion. Yep. Blue Jays pitching staff is first among all major league teams with a home ERA of 3.24, a 210 home opponent's average, and a 1.11 home whip. That leads all major league teams, which leads me to this question, Kevin. Is that just fluke, or is this a pitchers ballpark park. that is favoring the pitchers more than the hitters? I think it's. I think, and I know, don't know how. I don't. I'm just. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know the dynamics of the wall and everything. I expected. I, ex, I expected it to favor the hitters. Well, but, obviously, because it's closer, right? In the gaps, it's closer. I mean, it's taller, but it's closer. You, mm-hmm. you would. Certainly think that you don't have to hit it as hard. You create a little backspin. You right. might get some cheap homers. You haven't. Like, you haven't seen that from There've only been a, a lot few. of teams. Yeah, you've uh, Well, no. Like, you, you've been in a field and went, wow, there's no way that should have went out. When's the last time you've said I that? Mean, I mean, th- no, the only, I was going to say, I mean, Bo had a couple of to the opposite field that just kind of crept over the wall. But no, I mean, you're right on balance. No, I've never. I, I, well, I think where he hit that was over that sign where the, where right. the bullpen sits, which is the, the shortest part of the Correct. whole entire okay. park. But no, I've never. So that's why. Yeah, no, there have been very few times this year where I've seen a ball hit and go, man, that I can't believe that's out. There have been yeah. a lot where I've seen the ball hit. Again, I get back to Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman in, in 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 April, as good as he was, he had balls hit here that just they just died. Yeah. Now we haven't seen the roof open a lot with it really super hot. Now that may have something sure. to do with it, right? The ball may carry a little bit better that way. I I, I this is what okay. <clears throat> I think a lot of the lineup for the Blue Jays have some obvious weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Which if you're an opposing team and and you know, quite a few of those guys that are everyday guys have sort of the same weakness, which we've seen it. It's the elevated fastball. A lot of them do, right? I mean, you can name them out loud. Who does? And that might have something to do with once you start getting that consistently, you may try and overswing. Uh, you may chase a little bit more normally earlier in counts, trying to stay away from that weakness. That may have something to do with it. I do think the rotation for the Blue Jays is really good. It's really good. I think yes. it's really good. That that home or away. Absolutely. I, I think they they command the strike zone from pitch one. They throw a lot of strike ones, which is a big deal. Like you go from being on the offense to the defense just by throwing strike one. That's a big deal. They do that really, really well. Uh they're unpredictable with two strikes, which is a big deal, right? Keeping guys in the yard with two strikes, not throwing balls down the middle, being competitive, having better misses. I think Pete Walker, every time I've talked to him in spring training this year, he was saying they need to be more competitive with two strikes. That doesn't always mean, you know, throw the perfect pitch, but that means be tougher takes. And I think they're 
Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. So, yeah. I'm just looking at home home batting average this year, just for giggles. Oh, they're ninth in home batting average at 262. Home runs. Uh, home runs. And, again, there are, keeping in mind that, yes, I, I know there are opposing teams that play here as well, so you need the totals. But I'm just looking at the Jays. Home runs in their own ballpark. They've hit 37 this year at the Rogers Center. They are 23rd in baseball. Yep. Home, home runs. Detroit, Philadelphia, Oakland, Miami, Pittsburgh, Washington, Cleveland are the teams. Uh, are the teams below them? Yeah, it so, doesn't that, just, that doesn't help that Vladdy's only hit three at home. Yeah, like, that doesn't help. Yeah, Vladdy's gotten off to a slow start. It's just, it's just interesting. It's just, it's just something I uh, Matt Chapman something I wondered about. Doesn't hit. A, I mean, he hasn't hit a home run in forever. Yeah, uh, just Brand, Brand, Brandon about. Belt doesn't ooze power at home. I mean, you could go down the list here. Uh, you know, Alejandro Kirk hasn't done much at home. I mean, Danny Jansen's doing some things. He's hitting some home runs. Yeah. Whit Merrifield doesn't hit any home runs at home. No, like everyday right. guys are not, you know, yeah, they're not. They're not guys they're not, that create backspin. They're not hitting home runs. They're uh, not, and it hurts. It it really does hurt when your big boy is not being your big boy. Yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, it's it, uh, it certainly does. Um, Jay's lineup is out, and uh, no Kevin Kiermeyer again, which I guess is due to the back issue. We'll mm-hmm. see what John Schneider says. Uh, I know that Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez both mentioned that uh, Kevin Kiermaier was... better or something. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it, you know, lots of games on turf, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so the lineup today is as follows. Springer is leading off in right field. Bichette is hitting second at shortstop. Vladdy's moved up to the third hole at first base. Chapman is hitting in the cleanup spot. Alejandro Kirk is DHing and hitting fifth, which is interesting. He was eighth yesterday. Danny Jansen's behind the plate. Whit Merrifield, Dalton Varsho, Santi Espinal, and uh, well, yeah. Jose Berrios. I have a theory. I have not asked John Snyder about this, but I do have a theory. Uh, okay. Danny Jansen leads the team with home runs and RBIs against left-handed hitters. You're trying to get dudes on base for him when he comes up. Can't say that again. Danny Jansen is leading the team versus left-handed pitching. With five homers and 14 RBIs. He leads the team in both of those categories. That's why he is hitting sixth instead of, say, fifth. On base guys in front of him, he comes up with first and second, say, two outs, maybe runs into one. That's the theory, right? Is that you, That's what you're trying to do. Obviously, that, no, no Brandon Belt. Yeah. That's why Vladdy moved up to the three-hole. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, but I'm just, I, I am wrapping my, and, and look, you know how much we love Danny Jansen in this show. Yeah. I was, that stuns me that he leads the Jays in home runs and RBIs Matt, against Matt, left-handed. Matt Chapman's hitting 407 against lefties. That stun you? Uh, no. 407. That's a great number. No, that's but, a big one. But Danny Jansen, again, no disrespect to Danny Jansen, but did you expect him to be the. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. Who he is, what lefty's trying to do to get you out, how they have to establish something in to get you out. What does Danny Jansen do better than most people on this team? Pull the Pull baseball. The ball. It's, it's not shocking. Like, it's not something you go, oh, really? I mean, maybe because he hasn't played as much as the other guys have, right? And, again, this gets back to Vladdy. And, yeah, you know, Vladdy know. has a high average against lefties. I think he's only got three homers against lefties, right? So it's not like they're 
you know, again, this is this is uh, this is the uh, this is a back to that approach thing. Yeah. Is you know, you're going to have to have a really good pr- approach against these lefties. You're going to have to zone up. You're going to have to lay off some things. You're going to have to not chase. You're going to have to be competitive with two strikes. Like you're going to have to do some things. This is the Red Sox lineup. Jaron Duran's leading off. Alex Verdugo batting second. Masataki Yoshida's third. Rafael Devers is hitting cleanup at third base. Justin Turner's the DH. Tristan Cassis at first base. Christian Arroyo, David Hamilton, Connor Wong. It's amazing. You got three on-base on guys in a row, and then you got your two run producers in Devers and Turner. You just, All you got to do is you can basically look at stats and know why they've made the lineups the way they've made them. It's just like, it's just like the Blue Jays. I mm-hmm. just told I, I have no idea. I haven't talked to anybody, but just by looking at stats on why you put Kirk Kirk doesn't deserve to be in the five hole against a dude that throws a hundred miles an hour. But the reason why he is there is you don't want it reversed. You want Danny coming up with Kirk on base instead of Kirk coming up with Danny on base. Cause Danny Jansen has hit homers and driven in runs against lefties. That's the reason why. So you look at these lineups, they sort of make sense, right? It's, it's like the Red Sox. It's, that just means Barrios going to have to be real good with all of his pitches. Changeup's going to have to be good. His front hip sinker's going to have to be good. His elevated four seamer's going to have to be good. His slurve velocities are going to have to be really good because of the way their lineups are made out. Got contact guys. You got dudes who go try and go back Lake City all the time. And Devers in his last seven games is hitting 375. Uh-huh. He got 61 RBIs. That's fourth in baseball. Yeah. He's, he's... doing some things. So you got to keep traffic off the bases in front of him. Make some quality of pitches against him. It's a nice little test for Jose. He's had a good year. It's a pretty tough lineup. Like, you're going to have to add and subtract, pitch ahead. I think when he's behind in the count, hitters are hitting almost 280 off him. He faced the Red Sox once this year. That was at Fenway Park. Five and a third innings, 11 hits, five earned runs. Tough. That was a season-high 11 hits but allowed. Things have changed. He things have changed. Well, it's a slower breaking ball. Sometimes he can throw a breaking ball and not a slurve. He's throwing more change-ups. He's, he's throwing more two uh, front hip sinkers to lefties. Like, some things have changed. His last 14 starts, he's 8-3. and three. He's got a 274 ERA, a 1.15 whip. And for whatever reason, the, the Jays generally don't lose when he pitches at the Rogers no, Center. J- We've J- talked about this. They've won 21 of 24 starts at the Rogers. He loves pitching at the Rogers Center. Yeah, he's got a lot of confidence, too. James Paxson, too, in his last seven starts is 3-1 and one with an ERA of 3.13. This is going to be a tough thing. It's which pitcher has the bad inning first. first. Yeah. That's You've that, said in the past. That's yes. sort of what it is. When you're facing two dudes who have sort of figured it out, it's about them matching the other guy until their lineup can have the big inning. And that's sort of, again, this is the way they've made their lineups out, right? Is they're trying to have the big inning. They're trying to stack the dudes up front that are around dudes who get on base so they can have the big inning. I mean, it's, I should be a khaki. <laughs> I figured it out, Jeff. It's all done. I mean, we might as well just, we'll let you go. Have a great weekend. <laughs> just kidding. Uh yeah, I mean, you do, you do have it all. You do have it all figured out. How about that? I want to go back and talk about Chris Bassett, but just don't want to leave him, leave it alone. Um, and I'm not talking about the the pitch com or anything like that, but just the performance of Chris Bassett with Alejandro Kirk, uh, and that we've talked about this. The numbers are are hugely tilted. Like the the ERA, what there's a six 
different. Keep talking. I'll look it up. Um, what did you see that was the difference in Chris Bassett last night? You was it just you're, you're not talking? I'm looking it up. Yeah, it's six. It's about six runs or something. like Is that. it really? Yeah, it's it's pretty substantial. Um, I'm just wondering what the difference you saw between Chris Bassett last night and the Chris Bassett we've seen before. How much of it was tempo? Uh, Alejandro Kirk batting average against Chris Bassett when Kirk is behind the plate, 149. They slug 260 when Danny Jansen is behind the plate. Now that or is anybody else. That is because Tyler Heine. That's 12 starts. That's yeah. 12 starts with Kirky. That's five starts with Danny Jansen. With Danny Jansen behind the plate. They are at it right here. Scintillating. It is. Okay, Danny Jansen, ERA with him behind the plate is 10.29. All right, so it's a little more Kirky, than what I thought. ERA with Chris Bassett in 12 starts, 1.60. Okay, so that's a little the more than six of, The runs. rest of the season, he's catching Chris Bassett. I have no idea. Maybe it's just he likes throwing to him. At least his target's different. Like, yeah. I like the target. It has nothing to do. Because he's shook off a lot. Like, yeah. he was shaking him a ton. But can I, okay, the, Buck made a point during the telecast. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you this. Because last night, I mean, we know that after in his previous start, after the first inning, Chris Bassett turned the pitch calling over to his catcher, over to Danny Jansen. And the thought process was it would allow him to concentrate a little more on, on mechanics, just concentrate more on pitching and not have to worry about everything else that was going into his, his brain thinking about it. And I think the Jays also thought, you know what? It's half a year. Our catchers have seen enough of this guy. Yeah, we know he throws a gazillion pitches. That's fine. We'll figure it out. Yesterday's plan was the catcher calls the pitches, but if after two pitches they're not in the same page, then Chris Bassett can can go to the, the pitch com and, and – um, and there was a lot of shaking off. But Buck made a point about how you had to be careful. If you're Chris Bassett, you had to be careful when you were shaking off because a smart hitter would automatically know you. it meant you were going to your fastball. Yeah, I don't know how. Okay, just just by me, say I'm left because I'm a left-handed hitter and I walk to the plate and he throws seven different pitches to a left-handed hitter. If he shook four times, still, how, how yeah. would I know that's a fastball? Yeah. I would. Yeah. I, I would. Maybe it depends the only, on the, the count or thing, whatever. The only thing I would have done it was use my timeout. I've had enough of you, seeing you do that. Why are you doing that? You, you're doing that on purpose? Which a lot of the times, because he uh, he's an overthinker. That's why they've eliminated that thing, him pushing the button. They don't want him to do that anymore. They, he He's very robotic. I told you this last night after the game. And you could tell the difference, right? For like the last four starts, it looked like you could almost see it when he went through his little wind-up, whatever he does. <clears throat> Foot goes here. Glove goes here. Hands go here. Hands here. I got the lean back because I want to get it out front and really snap it off. It's almost like you could see him processing it very robotic-wise to have it end up where he wanted it to go. Last night, it didn't look to me like he was doing that. He was just getting it and throwing it. Right? <clears throat> Don't aim it. Throw it. If you want it to go there, throw it there, right? So I think a lot of that is is what it is. I, I think he's better when he's throwing all of them, right? And don't overthink it. It's it's like 
Okay, I got this game plan. But that, okay, that's that's interesting. Well, okay, that gets to something that gets to something that uh, um, that John Schneider said, uh, not with us, but in one of his his uh, pregame things, talked about how he thought that maybe by having Bassett use the pitch com, he'd narrowed his the number of pitches he was using in certain at certain times. Because he obviously because he had good stuff to think about. And this might allow him to widen his to use his repertoire yeah, more fully. Yeah, he's a thinker. He's a he's a game planner. Like everything is to you know, if he if he takes this, I'm throwing this. If he takes both of them, I'm throwing this. If he don't like all three of them, I'm gonna throw this. Like <clears throat> like it's a process to everything he's doing. Well, what if he has a good swing on one of the four? Yeah. Now what do I do? Yep. This is what they're trying to take away from him, is not do that. If I push it and you like the location because last night it looked to me like he wasn't shaking pitches. He was shaking location, right? He wanted to go away. He wanted to go in. Or he wanted Kirky to set up right down the middle and let it just break or because he wants to throw those for strikes. You can see occasionally he wants it to be a strike or he doesn't want it to be a strike. Maybe that's a, what so, Buck was talking about is that would tip off abs- that shaking. That might yeah. tip off a hitter to location as opposed to... Pitch that would yeah. If sense, I see him you? shaking out there, I'm calling timeout because I, I think he's I think he's messing with me. Okay, I don't like that. Stop, uh, stop doing that. Rob Bradford is a Red Sox reporter with WEEI. He's host of the podcast The Bradford Show, and baseball isn't boring. The Red Sox and Jays they're certainly ne- never boring when they play each other. They've got the first of three games tonight at the Rogers Center. Rob Bradford joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker. Before I uh, get to our next guest, Rob Bradford, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Bob McCowan. Um, Bob McCowan, of course, uh, a longtime resident of this particular chair. As a matter of fact, the cushions we use to boost the person sitting in this chair are actually from Bob McCowan's backyard. We should actually give it back to him sometime. But uh, Bob, for those of you who don't know, uh, was on social media today and let uh, let folks know that uh, he's had a couple of strokes over the last couple of weeks. Um, he is in hospital. He says, I can't walk or talk, but I'm getting better very slowly. Hope to get home and back on the podcast as quick as possible. Of course, the Bob McCowan podcast. Yep. So uh, just uh, want to send out send along our best regards and our thoughts absolutely for the bob to the bobcat and and yeah. hope that we uh hope that we hear you again very soon i got a lot of time for bob when i first started in this business he, he was really good to me like he brought me on his show and you know let me stumble and i mean he's largely sounded like i basically was not supposed to be on the radio so i got a lot of time for bob i mean i've always said that mccowan and and ryan walsh was his producer um mitch melnick when I started doing media stuff in Montreal, those are, 
I was going to say those are the guys. Those are the reasons I'm still on here. So if you're looking for someone to blame, I guess you could probably blame those three guys. Although don't blame Bob, not while he's in the hospital. You can blame him when he's out of hospital. All kidding aside, Bob, get better. And, Absolutely. Uh, we well, look forward fun. to hearing you, uh, hearing you again soon. All right. The Boston Red Sox are in town tonight for the first of three games against the Blue Jays. Rob Bradford is a Red Sox reporter with WEEI. He's host of the podcast, The Bradfo Show, and Baseball Isn't Boring. Rob, thanks for joining Kevin and myself. You know, Ross Atkins did a media availability earlier this week at the halfway point of the season. And basically the storyline in Toronto is, yes, they're disappointed where they are. Yes, they think that there are enough underlying numbers that suggest that this group this lineup is capable and going on the type of a role that gets them into the playoffs do the red sox feel that way seeing as how they are right now they're looking up at the jays who are looking up at the yankees who are looking up at the orioles who are looking up at the rays (laughs) i think that the red sox would be glad to switch with the jays and not only because the standings but because of their lot in life um i think that the Red Sox right now, as they head to Toronto or are in Toronto, it is, unfortunately, guys, I feel like whatever I said in the end of spring training with you guys, it's going to be the exact same thing, which is the 2023 Red Sox, colon, maybe? And, and this is the problem, though, that this team was so desperate to define itself and define some sort of definition of guys stepping up and there just hasn't been enough of it. And, yeah, sure, you know, Brian Bayo is going to be a star. I mean, he's, he's been one of the unbelievable bright spots for this team, the starting pitcher. But when you look at the majority of the rest of the team, Chris Sale had a great run until he got hurt. Okay, Whitlock, up and down. Yoshida, uh, you, you know, his numbers look good, but he certainly isn't a star in – and and then and then you're relying on guys in the third and fourth and second spot in the order and even fifth spot in the order, Justin Turner and Rob Snyder and Adam Duvall and and these guys are good players, but they're not the type of players that probably should be put in the positions they're being put in. And then you have Tristan Casas, the guy that I remember we talked about. You know what does he do well? Well, we're still trying to figure that out. Sometimes he's a good hitter. And sometimes he makes a plays in the field, and other times he doesn't. So, in other words, what I'm saying is you're sitting here slightly below 500, and that's exactly the team they are. How do you get better on the defensive side of the ball? With, with who their manager is, you would never would have thought the Red Sox would have had issues catching the ball, throwing the ball, you know, not beating themselves when it comes to that side of the ball. How do they get better? Uh, and, you, and you're so right about that dynamic because, Alex Cora was the only player I had ever seen go in as a defensive replacement at shortstop. Like, <laughs> he, yeah. he replaced the late Julio Lugo at one time, and, and Cora's hands were just so unbelievably good. And, you know, and I think that he obviously prides himself on that. And I think, that, listen, I mean, their, their defensive struggles have been at first base. Cassis has been inconsistent. And but most importantly, they just haven't been able to settle the shortstop spot. And you had you took Kike Hernandez out of that spot after giving him a chance. The idea was you're going to put Pablo Reyes, who they made a little trade for. He gets hurt, and now you have rookie David Hamilton here, and he, he's really not equipped to play as much as he's probably going to have to play. 
and Trevor Story sitting there, and he's, he said, I'm going to play shortstop. When I come back, I am going to be a shortstop. And in 2019, guys, go look it up. I mean, he was a really good shortstop before his arm started going south. His arm seems to be getting better and probably going to be along the lines of what he was in 2019, but that's a month away. So to answer your question, I think that there's not a lot of easy solutions because it really does start with the defense up the middle that's sort of killing them. Yeah, I was going to say if you're boy, if you're uncertain at shortstop, it's awfully hard to it's awfully hard to to you know be really creative or, or really focus on run run prevention Absolutely. unless unless you know unless you're just you're so good elsewhere. It, it's that's yeah, a position you not. can't, especially now with no shift. I don't think you can disguise a real deficiency at shortstop. That's a great point, you know. And we and this is the thing. I think that Trevor Story. The, the new rules and the new game really lends itself to Trevor Story's game. But once again, you're talking about early August probably, and they're taking on water so much. I mean, I wrote this the other day. It's sort of like they're patching the holes in the boat, but they can't even see land. And so, and, and they just keep sort of like pop, these, these holes keep popping up. And, and I think that really you, this, all roads lead back to Xander Bogarts, right? Mm-hmm. In Boston, all roads lead back to Xander Bogarts. And, I mean, the caveat or the, the excuse and, or the, you know, the, the thing they had, the feather in the cap that they have every time this conversation comes up was nobody except one team was going to give Xander Bogarts 11 years. And that's hard to argue. Um, where they blew it really was the previous spring training where they did the same thing they did to John Lester. They lowballed Bogarts. They basically soured the, the negotiation relationship. And once you get the free agency, it was done. But you can say what you want about Bogarts, and he's not tearing up the world in San Diego, but he was the epitome of consistency at that spot. And it was a spot where he had gotten better defensively, was really, really solid in one area they, they simply didn't have to worry about. Uh, Rob, day after trade deadline, Justin Turner, a Red Sox, yes or no? I think so, yeah, because, because he, when you talk about, you talk about Bogarts being a leader, I think Justin Turner is undeniably the leader of this team. Yep. I know that I know that Alex Cora said, you know, early in the year, Rafi Devers, this is Rafi Devers. He is, no, I mean, Rafi Devers is a great player, but that's not who he is. Justin Turner, I've said this a bunch of times, I haven't seen a lot of guys come in and just immediately take the leadership role. And it's not like he got on a stool and gave the Rudy speech. It's not like he did something where I'm the leader here, everyone follow. No, he just, you guys know Justin Turner. I mean, yeah. you, he just did it the right way. And by the way, he's a good player too, which mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. So, so I think that because of that, because of that, they can use, they can control him for next year. Or they, there's an opportunity to get him back next year. And if you have the opportunity to do that with the importance that he has on the team, I think they keep him around. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Brian Bayo a little earlier, and of course he had uh, no hitter through seven innings uh, against the Marlins uh, in his last outing. Uh, talk to me a little bit about him, because he's a guy that I, I, I know a lot of people have talked about for the past couple of years. I think if I'm not mistaken, hasn't Pedro Martinez kind of taken him under his wing in, yep. in the offseason as well? Um, how good can he be? I think he can be really good. And by the way, they haven't developed a pitcher in forever. I mean, you can say Tanner Houck, but this was a very real problem they had. And, and, and even with the Pedro dynamic, uh, Pedro really tries. Pedro really, really 
has uh, good intentions with a lot of these pitchers. But every time I hear this, I think about how he said that Ruby De La Rosa was going to be hmm. the next, you know, Roger Clemens. And I think Pedro is an optimist, and he sees the best in these guys. And then he sees Brett Bayer, and he sees his size. He sees the same sort of stature that he did. And, but I will say this, whatever, whether it's Pedro, whether it's just the maturation of, of Bay over the last six months, whatever it is, this is a confident kid who has proven that he's, I think he's a top of the rotation pitcher. The problem is, is that, and I was talking to somebody about this, the Cincinnati dynamic, they have the same sort of issue, except they're better, but they have the same sort of issue where they have their rookie pitcher who's lights out being the ace. You really should have other guys be mm-hmm. the ace while this guy is figuring it out. Right. But for now, I mean, until Sale comes back, I think this guy is absolutely the ace. Rob, end of the season, they finish, Red Sox, finish under 500 and do not make the playoffs. Who do they blame? Oh, they, I think that Bloom gets the blame uh, more than anybody. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to get blamed. Like, the ownership's going to get blamed because this doesn't seem like the same sort of we're going to do the shock and off. It doesn't work out ownership, which has been the case for over 20 years. And now they're doing the, we're, we're going to be patient and, and trust the process. And they're, Alex Cora, he can only do what you can do with what you have. And, and again, I just listed some of the names of what he has. So I think he's a really, really good in-game manager. I think he's a good manager. But I think that the Bloom way of doing things is really, really patient. And unfortunately, you know, the, in Boston, you can't do what you did in Baltimore and Cincinnati and some of these other places. You just can't. You, and, and they have some guys coming up. Marcelo Meyer, the shortstop, he's, I think, the fourth-rated prospect in baseball right now. But you can't keep finishing last. You just can't. And then part of it's a business model, and part of it is just it, you have the resources to be good, then you got to be good. Rob, Rob if, you're the man, if you're the owner of the Red Sox, would the Orioles be – being better this year, better than most people thought. I, we thought they were going to be good, not second place good. I don't think anyway. I, I think that's a bigger surprise to some. Does that give the front office for the Red Sox a mulligan? Maybe you get a window here to say, okay, I see that team, that organization's maybe a lot better than we are when it comes to just sort of everything, right? A dude goes down, we got three others to call up. Like, it's just the way it is. We stunk for a long time. We got it, right? We got depth. You give them a window. I think it's a great question and a good conversation because of what this is happening. It's not only the Orioles, right? You look at all these teams with low payrolls across mm-hmm. the board, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, and unfortunately, I think, and then you have obviously the Mets and the Padres, and unfortunately what happens is I think owners say, well, why am I spending this money? Can it be done this way? Mm. Well, yeah, you can, but as I said, the Orioles, you, you, you gutted the fan base and you took forever to get these guys, and boom, all of a sudden, here they are. That's all well and good, and you give them a lot of props for doing it. But I don't think that you can do it in every market. And I do think that the good teams ultimately have have to pay for certainty. And I think that that's the one thing that we have to understand. The Red Sox, you're going to see them up in Toronto tonight. Look at their lineup. Where's the certainty in it besides Devers? Mm -hmm. Like, where is that certainty? And some, there's no such thing as absolute certainty, but you know, guy, you guys know what I'm talking about. Right. They they actually did it in the bullpen. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, you paid money for what you thought was certainty. I think that you've got to do that. You've got to get uncomfortable, whether it's with trades, 
or whether it's worth free agency to get the, the certainty that I think that a lot of teams really need. Rob, from a distance, is it possible that John Henry and his ownership group, they've just got too much in their plate with Liverpool, with, with everything they have right now? Is that or is that just is that an easy, you know, an easy excuse to make? Yeah, I hesitate always when that conversation comes up. I hesitate to say that because anytime you're building a business, you want to expand and and you want to keep building it. And my thing is, well, if you stop spending money, if you stop allocating resources, then that's when you really have to worry. I do know this is that there is a change in perception. I mean, I, I. surface this the other day it was four years ago two days ago i was in london on the field in london talking to john henry where he was very very upset about how the season was going the year after they won the world series and made some very pointed remarks about like how how they they maybe they should have turned the roster over that they're not performing so forth and so on and a couple months later dave dombrowski was fired but we don't know that now because John Henry doesn't talk. Mm. John Henry, it, this year, what used to be a, a tradition every spring training of sitting on the bench once a year and answering the questions has gone out the window. Instead, they cherry pick some media organizations to ask questions via email, and he answered them. I mean, how, how is that a good idea? Mm, yeah. and we, so, we, so we just don't know. We just don't understand like exactly what the feeling is if you just say, hey, give Haim time, give him a two or three more years, or is he going to do exactly what he's done every other time that you face something like this, which is have some sort of shock and awe the following year. Rob, really good of you to join yeah. us today. Thanks so much, man. Great insight as yeah, always. Great stuff. Thank you. All right, guys. Always good to talk with you. I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Rob Bradford is the Red Sox supporter at WEEI, host of the podcast, The Bradfo Show. And baseball isn't boring. He also does the radio. Uh, busy. He's a busy man. Busy, yeah. busy, busy man. Yeah. Uh, it, an interesting point about the Red Sox, as as Rob was talking, I was kind of <laughs> through the lineup, and uh, he's right. Uh, I mean, where's the sure thing? Hey, Yoshida. I mean, I love Yoshida. I'm. I would. I would put him in that. But Verdugo. I mean. Okay. Devers, me, Devers, ask, Devers, I love. Devers, ask, I've always let loved. Let me ask you a question. Would you take Verdugo hitting second for the Blue Jays? Okay. Huh. Yes. Okay. But then dot, the, dot, 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 dot. Where would he play? Uh, play. Be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. You're right. I, he, could, he could play instead of Varsha. Yep. You're right. Well, with the way Varsha is playing in center field, because of Kiermaier not coming back next year, you can put him in left. Yeah. You can put, I, that's Bar yeah. show and center. That's all I'm saying. Like, like I, like some of these dudes. I mean, I, I I get what Rob is saying when it just comes to totality of what they do consistently every single day. You just really sometimes there's a lot of that with the Blue Jays. Like you just sometimes with some of those guys you don't know. Some you do. Yeah. Like the first normally other than Belt, the first three guys. Vladdy, most of the time you do. You know what? Here's here's the way I'll put it. If I said to you right now, who is going to have a blank year? George Springer's going to have a George Springer year at the end. Bo will probably have a better year than he's had in the past, but I think that's going to be a Bo year. I I just think Bo is now one of the very best players in the game. 
Flatty's, I think Flatty will probably finish with an okay year. Chapman's going to have a Chapman year. Um, you know, and then you get down at, at, at that point. I mean, at that point, I'm, I'm not entirely certain it matters all that much. Uh, Jansen's going to have a Jansen year. But, yeah, you look at you look at the Red Sox, and, I mean, I love those three at the top of the year. I'm sorry, I love the two, three, four guys. I mean, I absolutely love Devers, and I and Yoshida, I can see why everybody was excited about him. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, Verdugo, yeah, he, 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 he'd look. I mean, any... Any any dude that profiles the way he pro- profiles yeah. would look good. In the I think number what two Rob is right saying: now. the year they co- they came off of, the year they're having now, it'll make you wonder how they're putting yeah. the team together. Uh, it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Let's bring in the voice of the one and only. No, let's just bring in Mark Boffo's voice. Thanks, guys. All right, so we've got Red Sox Jays tonight at Rogers Center. Big Maple. James Paxton on the hill for the Red Sox, and he will be facing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's heating up. Will he go over one and a half total bases tonight on Bet Rivers? I'm going under. Reason? I'm going under. I mean, there's a small sample size. I think they have like eight appearances against each other. Vladdy's got a couple of hits. Uh, Paxton's been really good lately. Vladdy as I Vladdy's looking more like the Vladdy we've come to expect, but I, I still need I still need to see a little more before I would go into every game going over, 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 over. I'm going over. And oh. the reason why I'm going over is five of his last six games he's had two or more total bases. The the question is, will he go over one and a half bases? I'm taking the over. Against lefties this year, he's hitting three forty eight. In his last seven games, he's hit three homers. I'm taking the over. All right. Taking the under. Mm. We're going to go with James Paxson. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You got there like that smile like that. <laughs> it's, more, it's more fun when we disagree. It's not a great answer by you, but it was. Well, yeah, I mean. Just, you, you, know, you, I, you, you got to back it up a little. Well, I just I I think, I think James I think yeah Paxton. I think James pa- I think James Paxton is on a nice little roll right now, um, but yeah, you know I could see. You know what you know what's you know what's great about both of our answers because James Paxton, like I mentioned, is three and one with a three point one three in his last seven starts. The numbers that I just mentioned with Vladdy, that's two good players that are all that are playing good at the same time. Yeah. Something's got to give. That's what's interesting about what we just talked about. Okay, I'll go with the over. Nope. Can't. Come on, I can so. I can change my mind. Nope. You talked me into it. Mm-mm. You and your research. Uh, John Schneider, the manager of the Blue Jays, will join us in a few minutes. Jeff Pass, an MLB insider with ESPN, will join us. He did a deep dive in the Cincinnati Reds and Ellie De La Cruz. He's my guy. You figure out how to lay off a breaking ball right-handed? Oh. They are uh, Joey Votto, by the way, his 2,000th career game with the Reds tonight. Or today, I should say. Today? Tonight? He probably should have more than 330-ish homers. I hope that you're still here when Joey Votto goes into the Hall of Fame. Um, I really do. 707 will be the first to pitch tonight, by the way. He's gone. Of course. Always oh, going. 707 will be the first oh, pitch tonight. Going. Uh, Jose Barrios against James Paxton. Big Mabel, really we talked player. about that. You say Kikuchi against Cutter Crawford tomorrow. And uh, Kevin Gossman against Garrett Take Whitlock. Take my chances in all three, with all three of those guys. 
Oh yeah, it's yeah. Up, th- this that this, just oozes up for the up to the lineup. Yeah, this that's this, what this does. This sets up. This does set up very nicely. If the outfield the continues to play defense the way it has, because all three of those guys, other than Barrios, occasionally with the sinker, is fly ball pitchers. If they pl- continue to play good defense, that tells you it's up to the lineup. Yeah. If they can work counts, be competitive with two strikes, take the close one. Because they have talent, they'll win more than they lose of those three games. Yeah, and this is a like how uh, I did that without saying sweep. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it's, it, the whole thing with saying sweep—it's not like it's it, not like jinxing a no hitter. It is because they don't play complete games all the time, and that is more offensively than it is everywhere else. <clears throat> you like the you sort of like the way John and Petey. And all the khakis have lined up who they're going to use, when they're going to use them after the starter. Like, you sort of like that. They figured that out. They're in their sweet spot now, and they're figuring it out. You like the starter. He's going to get you deeper probably most of the time. Now it's up to the lineup to string it together this, and get it down and get it singing. This, one time. Feels, this kind of feels like a significant weekend. Right? Minnesota, the, the Orioles are playing Minnesota. Mm. Uh, Tampa is on the road in Seattle. And the Yankees are in there be a Louis. lot of people watching the Jays this weekend. You want to play well? Yeah. You do. John Schneider would love his team to play well. Absolutely. He's manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on a Friday. Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thankfully, none of you can lip read. <clears throat> Blair and Barker, it's a Friday. It's a long weekend. It's a Canada Day long weekend. So that means uh, we will be off on Monday. Huh? Yep. Are we really? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Look at that back there. <laughs> we will be back. In, I, I didn't know that. We will. Good thing I told you. We will be back on Tuesday with... Uh, I would have we'll been do, sitting here going, where's everybody at? Stop it. We're doing Blue Jays talk tonight. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk again Tuesday. We're doing Blue Jays talk tonight after the uh, Jays uh, 5-1 win over Monday the Boston Red great Sox. News. Um, great news. Yeah. Jose Brios on the mound for the Blue Jays tonight. James Paxton on the mound for the Boston Red Sox. Without any further ado, let's bring on the manager of the Blue Jays, John Schneider. John, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself today. Look, we're, uh, I guess, a game past the halfway point of the season, and it's a good time to maybe get your thoughts on what, in your opinion, has gone right and what has gone wrong for the 2023 Blue Jays. Ooh, that's a very broad question. I mean, I think um, what has gone right, I think, is, you know, pitching and defense, you can kind of, you know, speak to that universally, Um I think putting up runs consistently, you know, has kind of been sporadic. And um, I do think we've kind of turned the corner a little bit um, lately. And, you know, it's um, 
I, we put ourselves in a good spot in terms of a playoff hunt. And, you know, I think that's, you know, we've, we've done that without really, you know, playing our most complete game consistently so far. So that's kind of where I feel like we're at. That's kind of where the whole, you know, the team kind of feels the same way. Um, there's been some really good stuff and there's been some stuff that needs to be um, either executed more consistently or things that need to be tightened up. You know, we talked about, um, you know, kind of having our A game every night and, and taking our chances. And there's been, you know, times where that hasn't been the case. So um, kind of just revisiting that message that we had in the beginning of the year. and Hopefully we can put it all together in the second half. Uh, John, I think you're uh, you're alluding to approaches at the plate. At least that's what it sounds like anyway. And I know that's been a, a huge topic for you, your coaching staff, and all. Every time you hear a player talk about, you know, after the game, something that happened that was good, he was saying how good his approach was, right? How you lay off the pitcher's pitch, you get the one down the middle, like Vladdy did last night, basically. You will you'll right. have success that way. Is it gotten better, right, in your mind, sitting over there on an everyday basis? You know, the conversation's getting stronger because it's getting deeper into the season, but but in your mind, has it gotten better? I do, yeah. And I think we're at the point where you listen to the conversations with the guys and with Guillermo and Hudge and, and Hunter, you know, where they're they're buying in and they're on board and understanding that, you know, it's, it's very deliberate how we're being pitched, especially certain guys in certain parts of the order. Um, and, and I think if you can have a consistent approach, one through nine, and obviously there's some exceptions. I think, you know, Bo Bichette is an exception a little bit to where he can put the bat on basically anything in the zone or around the zone and hit it hard. But if you look kind of at the middle of the order, if you look at Belt, Chappie, Vlad, you know, Kirky, Jano, we're talking about, you know, kind of having a consistent, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back approach to where, you know, you know what the next guy behind you is doing. And when you feel comfortable, you know, having that approach when you are in the box, knowing that the next guy behind you is going to be doing the same thing. So I think in listening to the conversations, being in the meetings, you know, hearing the guys' feedback and how they talk about it, I, I do think it's gotten better, and I think it has a chance to get even better. Uh, you mentioned Kirky. Now, he is hitting eighth uh, right now for a reason. I mean, that's just harsh reality, right? If he was hitting better, you'd be having him higher up in the order. But I, I wonder, you sitting over there offensively, do you see something that would tell you that, you know, it's coming, right? Is he is his, is his bat looking quicker? You know, does his, is his mechanics looking better? Is he, is he more connected? Do you think he can use the entire field? How close is he? Yeah, I mean, I think the 10-day layoff obviously didn't help. Um, I think he was getting a little bit better, and the key with Kirky is just, you know, him controlling the zone, which he does a very, very good job of on most nights. And then the bat speed, I think, has picked up both from our eyes and from what we kind of can measure too. And with that, I think then you see balls getting driven in the air a little bit more consistently. So it, I think that, you know, we feel comfortable and confident that he is close. Um, and if we get him rolling, that's just another added piece to, a, you know, to a lineup that, that can do some damage. John, one of the things we've noticed in the past week or so is that Victor Martinez and Edwin have been a little more of a presence around the team. Now I know that they're special advisors, and I understand that they, they went down to A as well to, to check in on, on Arelvis. But has that made a difference, having those, you know, those veteran voices around with a, you know, a ton of at-bats and just a ton of experience? I think so. Yeah. The, the best part is, is that it's the same message that the guys hear every day, right? From, from everyone that's here, from G, from Haji, from Hunter, it's the same message. And I think sometimes it, it may resonate a little bit differently with guys when it, when it's coming from a different voice, right? So it's, it's like, uh, it's like when you're talking to your kids as a parent, 
and they're not going to listen to you, but they're going to listen to someone else's parents a little bit more, you know, and you're saying the same thing. Um, it's just a different voice. And I think players, you know, appreciate, you know, what they've been through those two guys in particular in their career. And, you know, we've made it perfectly, um, we've made it perfectly uh, clear to the guys that the messaging is going to be the same. It may be said a tick different. It may be, you know, t- you know, listened to a little bit differently. Um, but, you know, having all of those available resources, I think, is, is just great for the guys. John, I call Bassett sometimes needy. I mean, I jokingly say that. I, I've said that since spring training whenever I saw him using the tape and splitting the, the plate in, in thirds, right? You know, you line up here, you sit up here, the ball goes there, you need to sit up here. Again, like there was a lot going on, and I jokingly said that, you know, you can sort of call him needy. There's a lot going on there. And then he's, you know, gotten off to the start he's gotten off to, and he was dominating there a while. And then he's last night eliminated him calling the game. How did it look for you? Is there – I, I think this is the question. Is there a downside for him not calling his own game? I mean, I don't – the only downside with him calling his own game, I think, is just the tempo in which it, it happens, right? I think with, with the catcher calling it, you know, it just allows him to kind of focus more on executing a pitch. And it did – I mean, I think we're at the point now with Chris to where he's pretty unique with all the pitches that he does throw. Um, I think him calling his own game was kind of to get everyone on the same page a little bit early in the season. And then from there kind of absorb what he likes to do with what our internal thoughts may be and how that meshes together. So I think we're at the point to where him, Pete, Kirky, Jano are all on the same page of what makes him good. And then it comes down to just the, the natural cadence of him getting the pitch and worrying about executing it. You know, that's the biggest difference. I don't think there's a downside either way right now. Um, I think that the last two, you know, after the, after his first inning, his last outing uh, against Oakland, you know, Jano started calling it. And then yesterday, Kirky was calling it for the majority of the, of the game. There may be a pitch here and there that Chris called, but it's, um, I think it's just, you know, his, it was his suggestion that go to the catchers. And I think whenever a player is saying that, you know, you're getting the best version of that player, you know, he's going to feel comfortable and confident and it makes executing that much easier. So either way we're comfortable with, but it did take a little bit of time for us to kind of all, you know, get used to what he liked to do. I know you don't like personal catcher kind of thing, but I, I know you know that Kirky and Bassett together, ERA is... Oh, the glaring, there's a big, glaring there's, numbers. There's a, absolutely. Will we see more of that duo going forward? I mean... Yeah, I think, I think, you know, if we can line it up that way, for sure, you know, there's, you know, I've always said that you can't ignore numbers and you can't ignore performance. Um, That goes with, you know, certain guys catching certain guys um, a little bit, you know, it's not a perfect, you know, equation and, you know, we feel comfortable with Jano with him too. Um, But yeah, I think that if you look at, you know, it's a, it's a pretty decent sample size, you know, I know it's his first year here, but pretty decent sample size of what we're seeing when those two are matched up together. And then if it's going to be advantageous to us, yeah, we'll definitely try to line it up. One of the things we learned yesterday was that Vladdy Jr. is going back into the home run derby and that you are going along as well to throw batting practice to him. So congratulations. Uh, I'm sure the kids are looking forward to that. I've got to, I've got to right. think they're at an age now where they'd be able to, to, to really appreciate that and understand it. Uh, look, I'm of the opinion I understand there sometimes you get split opinions on the home run derby, right? There are people who say, well, it, you know, it puts you in a, puts you into, into bad habits and it's not the way BP usually is and all this stuff, but I kind of like it. First of all, I like, I like the home run derby as a fan, 
But I think it's going to be kind of cool for Vladdy to just have some fun, right? Because he embraces, he embraces being Vladdy, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I think you saw that last night after the home run. And over the course of the season, ups and downs, you can kind of lose sight of that as a player. You know, he is such a unique, um, infectious personality and has a tendency to really kind of shine in those in those spots. We saw it, you know, in 2019, um, he really kind of just dove right into the spotlight and enjoyed every second of it. And, we're, you know, he's going to do the same thing this year. And um, I think being a little, you know, a little older and, and, you know, having done the event before kind of knows what he's getting into a little bit and he's going to have fun with it. And um, it is different now than four years ago, five years ago, whatever it was um, to where he was trying to I think make a name for himself a little bit in that home run derby um, being a rookie. And now everyone kind of knows who he is and what he's capable of. So I think he's going to have fun with it. Um, I don't really see any downside to it from a physical or, you know, mental, you know, standpoint it's uh an infectious dude that is a big part of the game today and you know him out there having fun i think it's just going to be good for him john you think it would help him after the the home run derby going into the second half mechanically you know he i i me i don't think it's mechanical i think it's what he's swinging at I, i've talked to you you mm-hmm. came on this show you said sort of the same exact thing and the old saying is if you can't hit him in batting practice you can't hit him in the game you think him going out there and consistently just going back leg city over and over again will mechanically second half help him a little bit better to with the timing and get catching it out front and hitting balls in the air and you know hitting it in the seats like everybody wants him to i mean i don't think it's gonna hurt you know what i mean i mean i can't i can't say if it's gonna help if it's like oh you just need a night of trying to go deep you know on national tv to get you going but i think it's i don't think it hurt you know i mean you've watched his batting practice i've been throwing to him for seven years and you know, there's a time to cut it loose and there's a time to work, you know, in the middle of the field. And, you know, when Vladdy's at his best, you know, we're seeing swings like we saw last night and uh, with two run homer where got a pitch in the middle of the zone and, and like, you know, he just let it eat. And I think if you're doing that over and over again in an event like the Derby, um, it may rub off a little bit. But at the same time, I think Vlad is still a good hitter before he's a good power hitter. So the way I look at it is it, it, definitely cannot hurt him in this you know going forward into the second half and it it may help him um but i think the biggest the biggest key is that you know he's going to go into it enjoy it um and really just have fun with it john i know he hit 91 in 2019 homers in the home run derby but is there any pressure on you going into this thing do you have to adjust anything are you talking to vladdy on the way over there saying hey you know i can throw it right here like 92 times and let you try and hit 92 (laughs) homers are you adjusting to this thing and is there any pressure on you going into this thing to consistently throw it exactly where he wants it well, I mean, we all got to remember now, good home run performances. I mean, it's predominantly for, because of the pitcher, right? That's just nothing to do with the hitter, all, all with the pitcher. Um, I mean, I know I, I can, I can, you know, I know exactly where Vlad wants the ball when he's trying to hit a home run, you know? So it's, it's, I think it's a luxury that I've been throwing to him for as long as I have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely pressure. It feels different with no, you know, screen over the hitter and you know you got a catcher back there and you got you know 45,000 people watching BP that part is a little different um, but once you get the first couple throws out of the way it's kind of just business as usual um, the fact that I've done it before with him I think helps um, I'm just gonna try to stay out of the way as much as I can and just you know put that thing you know belt high middle in and um, you know watch it go 
pretty far probably. So I'm going to try to enjoy it too, but just, you know, the night is all about him and, um, you know, hopefully I can just tee him up if you will. It's interesting that you mentioned a catcher back there. Is that that much different throwing to a catcher when you're trying to throw in a home run derby than in batting practice when there's not a catcher back there? What's the big difference? I mean, I think it's just the visual, right? You you aren't used to that. But for me, I'm always looking at the hitter. So with a catcher being back there, yeah, it looks a little bit different at first. But when I'm throwing, I'm looking at where he is in the box compared to where I want to throw the ball. So it's it's just a different visual at first, and then you kind of get used to it. Um, But my eyes really kind of just stay locked in on where Vladdy is and where I'm trying to put it. Now, John, I think it's pretty obvious that Bo is going to be chosen for the All-Star game. I've got to think Gosman and Romano uh, go as well. I mean, Vladdy's going to be there in the home run derby, but these it, none of your guys were voted on as, as as starters this year, which is which was kind of a surprise. Do, do you think do you think they might use that as motivation? You think guys might use that in the second half as motivation, knowing that they they didn't get voted voted in? Um, I don't know. I think I think each one of these dudes that we're talking about are are motivated for you know to have success for one and then two to kind of help the team win. So um, my personal opinion is, you know, I I really think that Bo, you know, should have been the starting shortstop. You know, I can go on the record and say that just because of the fact that he plays every single day and uh, has consistently put up, you know, really, really, really good numbers this year um, on both sides of the ball. So I think that, you know, for Bo in particular, I don't know if that's going to be any added fuel. You know, he's about as motivated and and as driven as a player I've ever been around. Um, but it, it may, you know, I think that if you make the team is such a big accomplishment, you know, for you personally, for your career, it, it shows that you're the best of the best or one of the best of the best. Um, but yeah, I think, I think guys will kind of, um, enjoy the game. The guys that do go there, I can't, I can't not say, you know, I think Timmy Mesa should be there that game too. And Eric Swanson, you know, just in terms of seeing them every day and how valuable they are to us. Um, you know, I hope that they don't get, you know, left off that off that roster um, just because they're, uh, you know, not a closer, you know what I mean? So they're putting up phenomenal numbers. Um, but I, I do think the guys that aren't starting that are going to be there, I think it's going to be, um, you know, kind of business as usual going into the second half. Uh, you mentioned Tim Mesa. Let's expand a little bit on that. The way you're having to use Trevor Richards and not having the, you know, the Bugs Bunny change up late in games a lot of the times against those left-handed hitters, Tim Mesa seems like a giant deal for you. Like he's coming in against the other team, you know, in those big moments against the big-time left-handed hitter. How's he evolved? Like what's been the biggest difference one year to the other with Tim Mesa? I mean, for one, it's fastball command to both sides of the plate. It's a pretty elite sinker. I mean, that thing is really moving. It's a tough pitch to square up. He's changed his slider a little bit. It's not as, you know, cutterish as it has been in the past. And I think having a little bit of back and forth with his two pitches has really helped him. And understanding how to navigate right-handed hitters as well. Um, you know, yes, but for instance, yesterday we know pretty sure we're getting a pinch hit, you know, at Jock Peterson. And we know it's going to be Flores. And the fact that he can navigate a righty just as well as a lefty um, really comes down to the you know evolution of his breaking ball and then just really being pretty damn consistent with where he's locating his fastball. So I think the biggest thing is that and then him understanding how those two pitches play off of one another and how he's going to A, set hitters up, and then B, put them away. John, I'm wondering with, uh, with the plan, at least in the immediate future, with Alec Manoa down uh, in the minors and, and, and Trevor starting or opening, however you, you want to describe it, 
you've got a couple of guys going to the Futures game in Sam Roberts, and in particular, the guy that interests me is Yasver Zulueta. Do you see him, in particular, Zulueta, as a guy who could factor into this team at some point after the All-Star game? And, and what role might that be? Yeah, I think for sure he could. You know, I know that, you know, results have been, you know, up and down for him a little bit, as they have been for a lot of guys um, in AAA. But, you know, if he does come up and help, you could see him in kind of a Nate Pearson role where it could be two innings, it could be one inning. And you know that it's going to be pretty electric stuff. So I think once the consistency from from Zulu kind of gets there, then, yeah, he's going to put his name um, firmly on the map for a guy that can come up and help us and, He's obviously on the 40-man already. It makes it a pretty clean transaction. Um, you know, we're going to need contributions from everyone like we're seeing already. Um, it may be in a shorter stint. It may be in a longer stint. And, um, you know, when he tells us he's ready, he's definitely a guy we think that can help. John, we're going to let you run, man. Thanks so much for doing this. You bet, Thanks, guys. buddy. Good, good luck. To you. Yep, be well. All right, talk to you. Bye-bye. John Schneider, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. 707 first pitch tonight as they play the first three games against the Boston Red Sox. What you make of what the manager said? Well, I like the Tim Mesa stuff. Like sometimes we, and I was one of these people in the camp of, you know, you sort of seen enough of Tim Mesa, right? It was coming into the season, really. We got Tim Mesa again, but you can't argue, right? It's the it's the new slider. It's no longer a cutter, right? It's all they're putting on his plate when it comes to the other team's best left-handed hitter because of how they're using Richards. You know, he's getting all the big-time bats, and give him credit. He's came in and, and did a heck of a job. It makes it real easy for John to line that up right now. Now, all of a sudden, when you got the lead or it's a tie game coming up the next inning, it's no it's a no-brainer now, right? It's it's Tim Mesa. So, yeah, I took that away. That's, you know, they're, they're a big fan of his and, and – Going to the All-Star game, though, I mean, I understand there there are every now and then you do see a specialist that gets picked for the All-Star. I think he game, said because but, he <laughs> sees him every day. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. See how hard he works. I know you hate saying. He's trying to say hey, nice you hate hearing You hate hearing that. What? Oh, they all should work hard. Uh, I yeah, mean, he's turned himself into. I expect this hard work. He's turned himself into a, a must-have on this team. You still have. left-handed hitters. You still have. Because of the way you can get righties out. Part of me yeah. just, I keep thinking, I, I can't, I will admit, I can't get over the Seattle series. I'm not talking about the playoffs. and we, I'm I, not saying that. I just, I, I have a hard time looking past that Seattle series. I just do. I mean, and, you and could throw it well, you could throw Jordan Romano in there too. As I've said, I have a hard time looking past the Seattle series. It's why I always, I've always agreed with you that it's a, Good bullpen to get you to the postseason. I don't know what my confidence level is. Um, I don't know what my confidence level is in any of them at the back end, to be honest. Well, it almost is like you you could see if you only need three starters, you could see either Barrios or Yusei Kikuchi in the pen, eating up some big-time innings and piggybacking, and that way you're not using a couple of those guys out of the pen. You're using well, maybe no. one or the eighth-inning guy, right? whether that's Chad Green, whether that's Swanson, whether that's, you know, a healthier Jimmy Garcia, you're you're narrowing it down. I get the sense. Using your best. I get the sense that they are really, really, really banking on Chad Green. Well, it sounds like it. Like, really. 
Which is great. Hey, as we've said, if Chad Green is 95% of what he was before he was hurt, you can bank on that. Listening to him talk, being around people that have talked to him, I think he's going to make sure he's 110% ready to go before he comes back. Like, it's not going to be 95%. I'll give you what I got, No, no, no. no, But what I mean is if he can perform to 95% of what he was. I'm not saying be 95% of the pitcher, but I mean – there's a chance that he's going to come back 100% ready, but the results may not be there. But I'm saying if he comes back 90, 95% of what he once was, he's going to help this team. He's going to give them some, some, uh, he's going to give them some late inning heft. And man, if that's the case, like we, I, I feel guilty. I think we've almost, I think we've almost maybe undersold what the potential impact of, of Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green both joining this team in August. I we I think we've understood what the potential impact could be. Like that's a good trade deadline. Yeah, it is. I the reason why I think we have on this show, at least I have, is because of the way the offense has looked and because of who's hitting third. That's a tough take. So we understand, I think, big picture, you look, you get those two guys back. They're good. They don't have to be great going to help this team yes you can agree on that right yeah but offensively just by just by saying those two guys can come back now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about bringing in an extra starter or bringing in an eighth inning guy because now you got a guy that's been there and done that before and can do because you have two dudes can do one role on each side of that now you can go out and worry about and try and, I, and get you a, a decent bat and, and come in or either get on base that would move people uh, down a little bit so you can sort of maneuver around your lineup to bring the right people up at the right time. And I, and I think John Schneider essentially told us, too, that Yasver Zulueta is going to be up here in the second half. Yeah, He's I mean, on the 40-man yeah. roster. Um, you know, he's got decent stuff. Uh, he'll be a guy up here as well Boy. at some point. I mean, them, them lights is real bright. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not. I'm just not saying he's going to come in and and close out close out games for you. But he he might be able to knock Adam Adam Simber out of the picture. Who? Adam Simber or somebody like that out of the picture. That's all I'm saying. He's not out of the picture already. You know what I mean. I mean, you might he might get a spot on the. What I'm saying is, you can do that. You don't have to trade for a guy like that. Is what I'm saying. I guess. I think you're reaching. But- why? What am I reaching? He's on the forty-man roster already. He's a that. guy they, that they've spent they six get years with. Green back with what they already have. The point is they have better options. That's the point. Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet I'm Five right. Ninety. The wrong. fans, Sportsnet Three Sixteen, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, we got a little bit of breaking news here. We need one of those... Ticker type things for breaking news. The uh, Texas Rangers have just acquired closer Aroldis Chapman in exchange for uh, left-handed pitcher Cole Raggins and uh, an outfielder Ronnie Cabrera. Uh, Raggins is on the 40-man roster. He's been optioned to AAA Omaha. Cabrera has been assigned to the Royals Dominican Summer League team. Uh, 
So there you go. Aroldis Chapman's with the Rangers. The Rangers, very much a playoff team. And, uh, well, they're not... They're not waiting around. No. They're all, not all, waiting around. All those presidents and GMs that we had on it said nothing's going to happen this early. Well, nobody said Lies. nothing's going to happen this early. That's no what they said. said. No, they said the focus isn't on trading this early. It's not like that. Huh. Yeah. They didn't come out it's and say nobody's ad. ever going to make a trade. They didn't say that. Jesus. That's what I heard. It's not bad a 35-year-old throwing 101 miles an hour. Yeah. Might have a spot for him. 53 punches in 29 innings. That's not a bad ad. Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Mr. Passan, thank you for doing this. Um, Barker's upset because <laughs> Dan O'Dowd came on this week and yeah. said, ah, it's too early for Ross teams Atkins. to trade. I mean, we go down the list here. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, and then, and then so the, now Barker's convinced yeah. that all these dudes have lied to Lies. him. Uh, with the Matt Chapman deal. Um or roll this Chapman. Matt Chapman deal would be great, actually. Uh, is this? Hey, 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 Barker. Yeah. Welcome to being in sports journalism, I know, buddy. I know. They lie to you all the time. I know. They got me. They, yep. they did. They lie like rugs. It was rugs. like nine of they them. They lie too. like rugs. They, <laughs> they, yeah. They really do. Uh, Texas Rangers obviously uh, really well positioned, Jeff, to. Uh, to to continue what they're doing right now and to go into the postseason. I mean, a role this tra- Chapman makes perfect sense for them, does he not? Yeah, the, Texas had some scouts in Kansas City this week, and uh, uh, that that told me the Rangers are being aggressive. Like they they understand that uh, doing something right now, and novel though it may be, gives you three months of performance from a guy as opposed to two. And I've never understood why more teams don't take advantage of that. It just, it it makes sense to me. I understand that prices are going to be a little higher earlier. You're also going to get more production when you get a guy earlier. So uh, I I give Chris Young a lot of credit for a lot of things. I think you saw the all-star voting yesterday. And while I understand that Josh Young, you know, may not be the, best option at third base and you can make an argument for Adley Rushman over Jonah Heim behind the plate. Uh, the Rangers deserve to have as many all-stars as they do. They're a really, really good team. And what Bruce Bochy has done there uh, and what the players have done, the, this lineup, yeah, the Rangers lineup guys is like what I thought the Blue Jays lineup was yeah. going to be. No, that's 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 really that mm-hmm. that's really well said, and 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 you are right that uh, you know the only I know in, in terms of all star voting, I mean, folks here, you can have an argument about Corey Seager or Bo Bichette, but I mean, all star voting is what it is, and you know, as I said, I mean, the Jays fans can't complain because they stuffed the ballot boxes with the best of them, going back to Jose Batista's time <laughs> here, so. No complaints from uh, from this side. You, you've seen a fair amount of Aroldis Chapman. I mean, we see the velocity. What did you say the strikeouts were? Fifty three and twenty nine innings or whatever. Yeah. Uh, is he is he Aroldis Chapman? The Aroldis Chapman he was a couple of years ago. Yes, and I you know after seeing him last year when he essentially quit on the Yankees, uh, I never would have thought that the stuff was going to get back to where it is. Um, He's like regularly hitting 103. I mean, it's it's why he's Aroldis Chapman 
uh, how he looks on the mound to how he looks in real life is maybe the biggest shocker that I've had as a baseball writer. Really? He's an enormous human being. And and not like he's just huge and strong. He's 6'4". Um, I'm guessing he weighs 260 pounds these days, and it's like all muscle. I mean, he's a giant, giant man right now. And I think he looked at what happened last year and rededicated himself and figured out some of the things that were wrong. He's always been somebody who better than anyone else is able to generate energy. Like that's the thing that has separated a world to Shannon from the moment he got here. He is so efficient the way he moves that seeing him throwing, you know, only 96, 97, 98 last year, I was like, what happened to that guy? Well, he found himself again and uh, the fastball's playing so well right now that, He's more or less abandoned the splitter, and the slider is, you know, all he needs at this point. But I, if I'm him, I just throw fastballs. Just throw fastballs, get him in the zone. He still walks too many guys. Like, that That would scare me a little bit. But uh, the fastball, when it's in the zone, is damn near unhittable. Jeff, who do you think will be the most active from now until the trade deadline? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, you know... I think the Rangers definitely are going to be one of those teams that feel like they can, that they have to add. I think Arizona is going to be pretty active, actually. Um, I, I think the Diamondbacks see the NL West there for the taking, and they understand that there aren't going to be many years where the Dodgers aren't, like, at the top of the division. So, you might as well strike while the iron's hot here. And, um, I mean, particularly if you can, like, uh, avoid the wild card round. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that is a huge, huge thing to get that second place uh, or that second seed because I don't think anyone's catching Atlanta at this point. Um, you know, I, I look at Cincinnati and Baltimore and feel like if there are any starting pitchers who are put out there, like a Shane Bieber, the fit is really good for both of those teams because they're going to want a guy who they can have going into next season. But then again, the the Guardians are half game back in the Central right now. So I, I think a lot of it, Kevin, depends on exactly how the standings shake out and what the inventory looks like because right now it's just not a whole lot. Like, who's the best position player? I, I ask this in all seriousness. Of the teams who are going to sell right now, who's the best position player who's going to be available? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is real, I mean, you, you, you can look at teams that are going to sell and go, oh, boy, you know, the San Diego might make somebody available or this or that, but you've got to be realistic about it. I, I don't know. Like, we, we've had we've at least Roberts Jr. Jamer, for the White Sox. The answer is Jamer, Jamer Candelaria. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's he's the most obvious one right now. Jim Candelario is having a really good year. He actually leads third baseman in the National League and wins above the placement right now. Been sneaky. He's the switch hitter. Doesn't strike out a ton. Like, you know, he's going to be a good addition, but Jim Candelario is not winning you a championship. No. No, he's not. Hey, do you buy uh, the idea, based on what Steve Cohen said on, on, on Wednesday, that they might back – I wouldn't say back up the truck, but they will make every – you know, most of their dudes available, and I'm thinking of guys like Verlander and Scherzer in particular. I, 
mean, it would be great to make them available, but they have no trade clauses. Right. So are they are they going to want to leave here? It just it just adds another layer of complication to an already complicated situation where you've got guys who over the last two months uh, are going to be making you know upward of fifteen million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a big budget add to add either of those guys if you want to, but. Uh, I, you know, if the Mets continue to falter, well, what's, what's the alternative? Like, yeah. you have to salvage this season somehow. And there is, uh, you know, there's no salvaging if you're just finishing, you know, 75 and 87, 81 and 81, not making the playoffs. Um, that, so I, I think the Mets, they've almost put themselves in a position where they have to do something. You have to either buy or sell, but you can't hold what do you what do you think the Astros do with, with no with uh, Alvarez being you know in and out the bullpen not being real good? What do you think they do at the trade deadline? Anything? I, yeah, I think Alvarez is going to be back probably after the All Star break. I don't think he's you know obliques can be weird, so yeah, maybe this lingers a little bit, but it's not one of those season ending sorts of things. Um, the Astros, generally speaking, are not very aggressive around the trade deadline. I mean, you know, they got Verlander a couple of years ago, but the, that was on August 31st when there were waiver deals still. That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and the, their farm system isn't all that great. Uh, maybe they can make some marginal additions. Maybe they trade an outfielder because they've got a surplus of guys there, but none of whom are going to bring a ton in return. Um, I almost feel like it's... You know, it can be a Miles Straw type situation where they got Phil Maton a couple of years back. Um, maybe they go out and get a reliever and a prospect in the same way for one of their outfielders now. But I, I don't see the Astros being super aggressive in trying to, to maneuver here. Uh, Jeff, I get the impression that you have seen the future of baseball and his name is Ellie De La Cruz. Would I be right? I don't know if he's the future. Um, but I feel like he can be. I just want to, you know, he's 21. Yeah. I, I always, I'm always a little leery of like saying this is the next great thing because 21 year olds are idiots and not Ellie De La Cruz, but just 21 year olds, generally speaking, mm-hmm. they, they do dumb things. They don't necessarily take care of themselves. The mental health is questionable. All of these things. Now, Everything I saw from Ellie Del Cruz when I met him and over the course of our 15-minute conversation, no red flags went off. You know, yeah. boxes are checked. And in terms of the baseball skills, I mean, I, I ask you guys this. Uh, how many players have you seen with 380 tools? And for those not familiar with the scouting scale in Major League Baseball, it's a 20 to 80 scale where – uh, standard deviation is every 10, and 80 is just like a 100th percentile skill. And he's got 100th percentile exit velocity, 100th percentile speed, and 100th percentile arm for an infielder. Do you remember guys with three eights on him? Nope. No, and my friend Mr. Barker said a couple of weeks ago that uh, when we were talking about Ellie De La Cruz, if he was starting the team, you know, the old, who would you pick if you're starting the team? And once you move beyond Shohei Otani, I mean, then Barker's point was this guy is young, this guy's exciting. And you're you're right. I mean, he does, seems as if he does almost everything really well. He's a well. switch hitter, too, which is a big deal. Yes. Yeah, switch hitter. I mean, it, let's put it this way. If you're starting a franchise on MLB The Show and hmm. you are creating a player, hmm. 
you are going to make a six foot five, two hundred pound switch hitting shortstop who has power, speed, and an incredible arm. Right? Nailed it. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like he he came out of a video game, except he's very real and very spectacular. How the hell does he have a five foot eight twin? Because genetics are a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. <laughs> It was, it was, here's the thing. So we were, we were in Kansas city. Right. And, uh, you know, this was right after his first week and he does a little like press thing before the game. And somebody asked him how many brothers and sisters do you have? He's like, I've got five, uh, five brothers, three sisters, including a twin. And nobody followed up. And I, that was like the first thing I wanted to know. Tell me about the Dela Cruz brother who shares genes with you. Like shares all the genes with you because I assumed it was like an identical twin who shares all the genes with you and somehow doesn't play baseball. Like, what what does what does this guy do? What's his life like? And he tells me, you know, he, he runs a car wash, doesn't play baseball, um, living his own life, having a great time. I was like, well, how big is he? He's like, uh, he's not very big. I was like, <laughs> my size? And I'm like five. I'm I'm five nine. I used to say I'm five nine and a half. I don't I don't take the half inch anymore because it's embarrassing. Yeah, it so is. I'm five nine, and and he, he says mas pequeño, which means smaller. And I was like, come on. And I, you know, I wanted to I wanted to say Ken Rosenthal small, but I didn't do that. Yeah, I was like, nice. how much smaller? And I was like Altuve, and he's like, yeah, right around there. So I was like five six. And he said yes. So wow, I got I, you know, I, I had to, I had to talk with Pedro, of course. So uh, I got on the phone with him, and Ellie was on the phone too. And I asked him, um, you know, asked a bunch of questions beforehand because I didn't want to be the rude turd who comes out immediately and says, "Hey, short sack, like <laughs> how tall are you?" Actually? Yeah, hey, hey, car wash guy, <laughs> short car wash guy. What's it like being the brother of a six foot seven guy who's a star, yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, and, you know, and, and by the way, like, uh, Ellie, Ellie gives credit to Pedro. He's like, he's smarter than I am. He's got a better business acumen than I do. Very, very nice, very nice guy from all I, uh, you know, all I got there. But I was like, all right, I have to ask, how tall are you? And Ellie goes, no mentira, which means don't lie. <laughs> Um, hey. The answer was the answer was I haven't measured myself in a while, but I think I'm five eight. That's a that that's outstanding. Um, hey, I, I mean, you know, Ellie De La Cruz aside, the Reds, Jeff, are I mean, they're obviously they're a great story, uh, and you know, I, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're where the Orioles were or planning being, that's but the, that's the, no, dude, that's the that's the that's the perfect comparison. It that is, actually, hey? is yeah, it's the one that I've been making, like. I don't think the Reds have quite as much talent as the Orioles, but they are extremely Oriole-ish. And and remember, the Orioles, like, they call up Jordan Westberg uh, this week, and Jordan Westberg would probably be the number one prospect, uh, certainly the number one infield prospect in like for, like, half the teams in baseball. And... Uh, right now in the minor leagues, the Orioles have Jackson Holiday, Heston Kiersad, Kobe Mayo, and Colton Kowser, all of whom might be better, probably are better hitting prospects than Jordan Westberg is. It's an embarrassment 
of riches. The Orioles have restocked their system so unbelievably well since Michael Elias has been there, and they're going to be frightening once they get some pitching. They're already really good. They're already, like, five games ahead of the, the Jays in the standings, mm-hmm. and that's without a whole lot of pitching. Once they get some pitching, I don't know if it's going to be Grayson Rodriguez. I don't know if it's going to be on the free agent market. I don't know if it's via trades, but they will get pitching. Once they get some more pitching, man, uh, they're going to be right up there with the Rays. Uh, and, I mean, the, the American League East is not getting any easier anytime soon. No, it would be a good time if you're the Blue Jays to uh, to win. Or, ask yeah. for realignment? <laughs> or ask for realignment. Yeah, you know, get give me that Central Division. Give me those De- Detroit Tigers and Cleveland Guardians pronto. Hey, uh, big question a lot of folks are asking. To get out of New York okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came back. I'm actually here right now. But you didn't um, drive. And I dr- I know I did drive again today. Actually, yes, <laughs> I drove. I drove to City Field, and I, I swear to you, I was I was on the phone talking with a source, and I was like, "Oh, blank! Someone just ran into someone right in front of me." And I pulled by, and it was just some old lady who <laughs> probably had no business driving, but she was like merging into this lane, didn't look, like grazed the guy, but ran him off the road. Ooh. It was. Uh, I mean, that could have been could have been me, and uh, I'm glad it wasn't because I probably wouldn't have been very nice. Stay out of the bike lanes. Yeah, stay out of the That's bike all lanes. All you have to do. Well, I don't think they have. They have bike lanes in Manhattan. No, uh, I, no, I'm, I'm in Queens. I don't think Queens is much of a yeah. Bike, <laughs> bike lanes are a Brooklyn thing. By the way, I can't can't believe my child sold me out like that. <laughs> they did. I'll tell you a bigger surprise. When your child spoke, I kept I, I had this vision of a passing child as being like five or six years yeah, old yeah. or something like that. No. And this deep voice comes out. <laughs> Dude, he's 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 fifteen and he dwarfs me, which again, five nine, not tough, but he's like pushing six one these days, which makes me wonder, is he my child? Uh, and I'm just gonna not try to answer that question. No, we won't. Say, just just like just like Pedro De La Cruz is five foot eight. Jack Passon can be six one. That's right. Nice. We're, we're gonna let you run, Mr. Passon. Thanks for doing this See as you, always. Buddy. Be Have well. Fun. Drive safely. I'll try. See you, boys. See Take ya. care. This is Jeff Passon, ESPN MLB insider. Uh, that is interesting about uh, about Ellie De La Cruz. And I, I listen. I've seen three of their games. Like I've watched from start to finish, and I, I love the way Passon described him. Because if you're going to create a player, like for MLB video game, that'd yeah, be the guy. That's it. That's it. Who can do everything? That'd be the guy. Who you're not teaching how to do anything? I, I told you. He he can ever learn how to lay off a breaking ball right handed against the left handed. How much pitcher? do you think? How much do you think he's? <laughs> how much do you think he's signed for? Uh, not a lot. Sixty five thousand. Yeah, yeah. Really? Sixty five thousand dollars signing wow. bonus. Well, yeah, that's gonna cost um, him later. Now at the time, huh. oh, oh yeah, oh, that's it's gonna, gonna cost him later. Him. Oh yeah. Uh, you think the Reds will be? Here's playing? the thing. He was. <laughs> a 17-year-old who hit one home run in 186 Dominican Summer League played appearances after the pandemic season turned into six foot five, and he started hitting balls that traveled 475 feet. Like he went, he went in a growth spurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and he is—he's 
It sounds trite to say it, but he is fun to watch. He's one of those, every now and then you run into an athlete who just, <laughs> Felipe Alou used to have a line saying, this guy looks great the, just wearing the uniform. He's the National League unicorn. He really is. I, you know, he's, well, not, I mean, O'Neill Cruz is pretty good, not too. Supposed, he's not this. <laughs> he's not this that can do it from both sides of the plate. Well, that doesn't really have a weakness. And I mean, what a weapon. Like, seriously, for that. And that's, uh, I mean, Jeff's right. I'm looking at, they got Matt McClain. They've got Spencer Steer. Um, they've got Andrew Abbott, the guy who's striking out. That's yeah, just trying not to screw that up. So it, exactly. To, you think exactly. They, you think they're capable of not doing that? I mean, I don't know. That, I like their, I like their, I like their GM. I think they're quite, yeah, I think they are. I think they are capable. I, I have a little concern about ownership, but you know what? I had concern about Orioles ownership as well. And I think if you have the right GM in there who can kind of please stop spend. the crap at top from getting down. Mm. Yeah. But then I, every time you know, hearing pass and talk about the Orioles and just hearing those names. Running also, through, also winning turn over half their lineup. Winning, winning and people coming to watch them play would help yeah. ownership go. Okay. Listen, that's, um, you, you played that. That's a great baseball oh, it's city. It's a I, great I, baseball I, I city. I want to say it's the best place I played. I can see that all around everything fan support. When I was there was off the charts, everything they did off the field on the field. Just, it was players that I played with. Like, I mean, they've had a cool place to play. They've had some issues in recent years, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's one of those. There are two places that I consider to be baseball cities. One of them is Cincinnati, and one of them is St. Louis. Those, to me, are baseball Like, you just cities. walk into that park, and you're like, man, this is the big leagues. Yeah. You just feel it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is, And it's great. It's great when the – it's great when those older franchises are are competitive and, and, and doing well. Um, you know, and you kind of hope that the Pirates uh, – you kind of hope that the Pirates continue through. It was interesting. Ken Rosenthal just did an article in The Athletic – and we've been talking about what do you do with that first pick? And he has a said, I talked to a veteran talent evaluator who said that uh, if it's me, I'm picking Skeens, putting him in the majors, and I'm retiring. <laughs> yeah. It's, I just don't know what you could teach him in the minor leagues. You're riding buses. Dylan Cruz, though, man. Five days. Dylan I, Cruz is, oh, he looks good. So Skeens. He, he, he could be your one or two tomorrow for the Pirates. One or two yeah. tomorrow. 103 don't grow on trees that can throw strikes with a secondary pitch. I mean, let him come up and figure it out. That's what I'd do, but I ain't running a baseball team. Uh, ooh, that is it for us. The time is uh, mm. time has gone by quickly. It is a Canada Day long weekend. Mr. Barker, enjoy your long weekend. We mm. will be back on Tuesday. Oh, You have to do the post-game show tonight. Hmm? And we'll be back on Tuesday. Mm. All right. Uh, 707 is the first pitch tonight. We can see on the monitor Jose Barrios warming up. Uh, your prediction 
three games against the Red Sox. I just noticed how far over on the first base side of the rubber he is. kind of odd. I, I have not seen him that far over before. That'll he, almost he be telling be... you how many lefties he's facing. No, he's trying to get it in there. Like it's, it's actually, he's... Boy, that's a game of adjustments, ain't it? Like I, that's the first time I've seen him that far over. Actually, I'm just That's the very first thing right. I'd noticed is how Basically, far over he is. He's just got his toe on the rubber. He's trying to get it in there, make the lefty a little uncomfortable. I mean, it's there, and there's the sinker. Yeah. Right on par. Like it's... Yeah. Look, I, this is what you have to do when you're facing a team that's better hitters are left-handed, and you got to figure out how to get them out. You make adjustments, make them a little uncomfortable. It could be a real good series. It will be. A sweep would be great, wouldn't God, it? Come on. They're two up and down with their offense. I'd take two out of three. Yeah. Just keep winning series. That's all you can do. Boom. That's it for us. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk tonight following the game. We'll, we'll be back on Tuesday, same time, 5 to 7 Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet 360. Have yourself a great weekend.